in a time where the West is moving away from the Christian values on which it was built, with the culture becoming more and more hostile towards those who refuse to comply, where morality is relegated to a mere preference, it is time to rise up, to stand for biblical truth, and turn our hearts back to God. Time to reorient our lives surrounding God and His Word, to shed His light in a darkening world. This is the Counterculturist Podcast. The madman jumped into their midst and pierced them with his eyes. Whither is God, he cried. I will tell you, we have killed him, you and I. God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? Must we ourselves not become gods simply to appear worthy of it? There has never been a greater deed, and whoever is born after us for the sake of this deed, he will belong to a higher history than all history hitherto. Here Friedrich Nietzsche summarizes the postmodern framework unknowingly. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Counterculturist Podcast. We're here once again. I'm here with my co-host, Karsten Koopman. Karsten, say hello in a very exciting voice. Hello. So, yeah, we've been getting some feedback that uh, Karsten over here doesn't speak too energetically, but he, he has something to say. He just wants to clear it up. Well, thanks, Dad, for your criticism. Um... I assure you guys I am very excited for this, but I'm just not very good at showing that, so please be patient with me as I learn. Yeah, he's not really good at showing emotions. Never has been, and that's just kind of Karsten. This is true. Gotta do the supercomputers bit. Supercomputers don't have emotions. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right, guys. Anyways. (laughs) Today, we're going to be discussing postmodernism, relativism, truth, and a whole bunch of other things. We've got a great episode planned for you today. So, Karsten, what is postmodernism? What does that mean? So, more simply put, postmodernism promotes a general distrust of the theories and ideologies on which society was built and established. So what started out as an aesthetic or academic revolution has altered culture to the extent where we have gone beyond tradition to undermine objectivity and truth and reality. So while a world is post-Christian and post-truth, it is more than that, but it is now a post-reality world. Yeah, so really it's, it's kind of the abandonment of truth. Um, I think Albert Moeller does a really good job of outlining some of the features of postmodernism today. Um, he, he has a couple features of this. The first one is the deconstruction of truth. And basically what that means is we take truth and we kind of dissect it. Um, and yeah. Yeah, Philip Ryken in the book Only One Way says that postmodernism can also be described as an intellectual relativism. Or as Greg Kokel puts it, an era of dogmatic skepticism. Um, so what this means is that any hope of humanity gaining an objective understanding of the world or their reality is an utterly hopeless endeavor. Rendering any truth claim as a mere preference or opinion, it rejects a focus on rationality. Yeah, and uh, well, what postmodernists believe really is that truth is constructed to um, truth is constructed to oppress people. And 
if you're a postmodernist, to deconstruct truth is to de deconstruct that oppression. So that that's kind of the reasoning and the the re well the reason why they try to deconstruct truth is because they believe it oppresses people. Um, and then the second feature that Albert Moeller kind of highlights is the death of the meta narrative, which means the exp explanatory theory of everything. Um, so they want to take away the definition of truth as we understand it as Christians being that God is the way we understand everything, um, around us. Yeah. And this is a blatant attack against, um, yeah, basically any kind of sacred order as Christians, our meta narrative begins and ends with God. Um, he is the, he can explain everything that came to be, whereas in in our world today, there's these things such as science, which even postmodernists wants to deconstruct, but people try to use science to explain the world. Um, but yeah, there's always these limits in our knowledge where we can't go any farther, and we as Christians know that God knows and can explain. He is our explanatory framework for all of reality, really, because truth begins in God himself. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why as Christians, we can't really be passive about postmodernism and relativism, because in reality, it's a direct attack on God, right? When you say that truth is no longer applicable, you're basically saying that God is no longer applicable, because God is the truth. Um, the third feature that uh, Moeller says about postmodernism is the demise of the text, meaning that the text is dead and basically the author has no meaning or the author has no relevance to the meaning of the text, which is obviously not true. So now with the demise of the text, the text becomes anything that the person reading it wants it to be. And that means that the truth can just be twisted and put to whatever it, that person... Yeah, it, can be, it can be lost in the interpretation. Yes, thank you. Um, <laughs> Sorry, I was so trying to come up with a definition there. <laughs> you, using the example of the Bible, even, we see it more and more frequently today where people say, well, it doesn't matter what the Apostle Paul meant. It doesn't matter what Peter meant. Um, it doesn't matter what David meant when he wrote the Psalms. It's all about, oh, how do these make me feel? And this leads to a poor interpretation of Scripture which causes our whole fundamental framework for understanding things to fall apart. Oh, and I say this with love, but I, a lot of uh, Bible studies that we have nowadays, it's, it's, well, what does this passage mean to you? Frankly, I don't really care what it means to you. I just care what the passage means, right? That, and that's really what we need to get down to, the truth. Yeah, and what the passage truly means is what it, should mean to you and what it must mean to you. Yeah, and how it applies Not to you, right? Not how it makes you feel as the postmodern framework, the therapeutic framework would have you feel about it. Yeah, and the therapeutic framework gets right into the next point that Albert Moeller um, gets into. He says it's the dominion of ther therapy. The narrative switches from what is truth to what makes me feel good. And the end-all and be-all is as long as I feel good, then that is what is truth. Just going to plug a book here. I'm reading through it right now. The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self explains how culture has gone from, from 
yeah, from this objective truth to this therapeutic culture. Um, as I said, I'm reading it now. Great book. Um, yeah, we don't have time to get into everything that book has to say on that, but if you want to understand how we have, or how culture has abandoned truth and has gone to this therapeutic, um, feel-good, em- emotive uh, state that it's in, this book does a good job. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, like, even just looking at culture nowadays and society, it's we have this self-care kind of, you know, do what makes you feel good and that is what is good, right? But the Bible doesn't say that, right? It says, do what pleases God, right? And then... Yeah, and this is also, yeah, why they abandon these general theories and ideologies that society is built on because, as you mentioned earlier... Truth is meant to oppress, and similar, um, many postmodern theorists say that society is meant to oppress and keep you from being your, what they call their authentic selves, Um, and only when you break away from society's constraints can you actually be who you feel yourself to be, rather than who God says you are. Yeah, exactly. Okay, moving on to the next point, the decline of authority. With the decline of truth, authority really doesn't matter, right? The authority of the author, specifically as relating to the demise of the text, doesn't matter anymore. And words have no authority. Um, Yeah, and that also leads, because there is no authority, um, that leads to the displacement of morality. But on the authority, Karsten. Yeah, and so just in... The example of the law systems in a postmodern society, you can't, there's no perfect postmodern society because you can't enforce the laws you want people to follow without forcing your feelings upon someone else. Well, exactly. And truth is going to evade on somebody else's preferences. It's just inevitable. And so, yeah, with the breakdown of authority, there's no need for. Uh, the justice system, there's no need for police officers, there's no need for any institution um, to make any kind of hierarchy in which people are bound by to follow, such as the law. Mm-hmm. Well, and and exactly, and that's where it kind of breaks down because their authoritative standard is do what you want, right? So, yeah. Um, and then on to the displacement of morality. If truth is relative, so is morality. And this is where postmodernism again breaks down because you have to live out your truth as it makes you feel good but the problem with that is you you making yourself feel good will inevitably invade on somebody else's truth so it leads to a very selfish society where everyone's doing what they want to do and it doesn't matter what other people do or it doesn't matter what you do to other people because your truth is your truth. Yeah, and this kind of highlights that postmodernism is found at the crossroads of the philosophical frameworks of existentialism and nihilism. So because the culture promotes this framework, it leads to an abandonment of what I like to call the sacred order. Um, basically, of all absolutes and universally binding truths found in God. Um, it tries to get rid of these. And so, yeah, from the quote in the introduction by Friedrich Nietzsche, um, he put it, God is dead and we have killed him. Um, so postmodernism seeks a world without God, and a world without God is meaningless. Um, so that's where you see the nihilism coming in. 
But not only that, but it destroys all hope of existence after death, thus completing the convergence of the existentialist and nihilist frameworks. So without a basis for truth or morality, or any other form of knowledge for that matter, the postmodernist is left alone trying to create a social order in which to operate, usually based upon what is known as their authentic self, so how one feels themselves to be rather than who God says they are. And Carl Truman, in the book I mentioned earlier, Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, says that to dispense with God is to destroy the very foundations on which a whole world of metaphysics and morality has been constructed and depends. So for those of us back on Earth, what does that mean? <laughs> what it means is postmodernism seeks a world without God. Exactly. And because it was also mentioned in the introduction, Friedrich Nietzsche implies that humanity must set themselves up as God. Uh, so postmodernism sets the individual up as a god on a pedestal for all to look upon and admire, to accept and to worship as the end-all and be-all of their own expressive individualism. And if anyone says otherwise, they are crushed under the guise of tolerance. Yeah, absolutely. Or guise of intolerance, sorry. <laughs> and exactly, we get to the heart of postmodernism right there. It's not about, that, that's the thing, none of this stuff is about getting to truth. All of postmodernism and relativism, all it wants to do is give people what they want, right? And anybody who is a postmodernist is not a consistent postmodernist, right? They say truth is relative and it only applies to me when they want it to, right? But when it comes to physics, everyone wants a postmodern architect, but nobody wants a postmodern engineer. Because when it comes to engineering and physics, you want somebody who knows what they're doing and who knows the actual truth so that your house does not fall down on top of you. So to build furthermore on that... Good architect pun. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> everyone is a relativist until... or Everyone is a relativist when it's convenient to them. When you're coming up to traffic lights and uh, you see a truck billowing towards you going the opposite way and you say well if I just go truth doesn't matter and if I just go it's just an impression and that truck won't run into me no you're gonna stay there and you're not gonna go because truth is ultimate and you know that if that truck comes and hits you you will be obliterated Following your heart doesn't always, yeah, it doesn't always follow the truth. Um, no matter how much society wants to tell you, follow your heart, because follow... your heart will lead you to your truth. Um, well, if the Bible has a response to those who say follow your heart, um, in Jeremiah 17, um, we'll read verse 5 and verse 9. So at verse 5 it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in mankind and makes flesh his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. Um, so with postmodernism there, we can already see that um, it's a turn away from God. It's a turn away from the Lord, putting your faith and your trust in mankind and in your own flesh, really. Um, but he continues, so our culture, as it says, follow your heart, the Bible says the heart is more deceitful than all else, and it is desperately sick who can understand it. Um, yeah, following your heart leads to sin, unless the Holy Spirit's working within you. Um, but we're all born sinful. We're all we're all born selfish, um, with our own sinful and fleshly desires. 
Um, and that's what postmodernism leads to, is instead of fighting those urges to sin, it tells you, go ahead, that's your authentic self. It doesn't matter who God says you are, because in a postmodern society, they say God doesn't, ultimately doesn't matter. Um, and yeah, on that point as well, right? Some people might say that, well, it, it, if you believe in God, well, then that's your truth. And you, that's true for you. And if I don't believe in God, then that's true for me. Well, if the holiness of God is true and the sinfulness of man is true, then that is the most important thing that we need to acknowledge, right? We are so sinful and we need to understand how sinful we are. Yeah, and just building off of that, um, to quote Carl Truman again, um, it all it comes down to human nature. And so Carl Truman says, once aesthetic, so um, the arts, feeling, basically where postmodernism started. Um, so once aesthetics is detached from some universal understanding of what it means to be human, from some universal and authoritative moral meta narrative, from some solid ground in a larger metaphysical reality, then aesthetics is king. Taste can drive what we think to be right and wrong. Ethically speaking, taste becomes truth. Or Stanley Grenz echoes this sentiment in his primer on postmodernism where he says, By replacing the modern worldview with a multiplicity of views and worlds, the postmodern era has in effect replaced knowledge with interpretation. Yeah, and if you just want to see how disastrous postmodernism is, look at postmodernism art. It's it's garbage like it's just like a few lines on it and like a splash here and it's like it's nothing it's just garbage <laughs> i to i totally thought you were gonna get into the issues with postmodernism there besides it being making terrible art um but like the real things here come on <laughs> yeah because in bait the biggest problem with postmodernism is postmodernism is a logical nightmare oh it's it's awful. Well, you think you just think of this statement. There is no objective reality. Well, and yeah, Steve Turner highlights the irony of this in his piece titled Creed. Here are a few sections. We believe that all religions are basically the same. At least the one we read was. They all believe in love and goodness. They only differ on matters of creation, sin, heaven, hell, God, and salvation. We believe that each man must find the truth that is right for him. Reality, it will adapt accordingly. The universe will readjust. History will alter. We believe there is no absolute truth, accepting the truth that there is no absolute truth. We believe in the rejection of creeds. And once again, we see how postmodernism puts humans on the pedestal and makes them the center of the universe and morality. Yeah, and so besides the only absolute being there are no absolutes. Francis Beckwith and Greg Kokel highlight seven major flaws with the relativist or postmodern framework, using those terms interchangeably. Um, so the first one is relativists cannot accuse others of being wrong. It's, it's true, right? If you steal my wallet, there's no reason for me to be upset at you because in reality, you stealing my wallet is your truth right and the fact that it distorts my truth doesn't really matter to you because that's your truth yeah if my truth told me i was poor and i needed to make more money 
my truth also told me that the best way to do that was to take Brett's wallet, then who's to tell me that I'm wrong? Brett can't accuse me of being wrong and taking his wallet. Exactly. And, and only the Christian worldview with the basis of God as the center has a basis for telling you that that's wrong. And so the second thing Beckwith and Coco highlight is relativists cannot complain about the problem of evil. So not only can Brett accuse me of being wrong and taking his wallet, but he can't complain about it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and exactly. If you want to prove a relativist wrong, that truth is not relative, just steal his wallet. <laughs> yeah, and... Beckwith and Coco point out that the main thing with the problem of evil is not complaining about stealing a wallet, as good humor as that is. Um, but rather, postmodernists can't embrace the problem of evil. They can't, the same way an atheist would try to disprove Christianity by saying, well, if God is good, why do bad things happen? When in reality, they have to ask the same question. Well, and I... They can't even ask the question, in my opinion, because who are they to say what's bad and what's not? Yeah, I guess you have to have an assumption that some things are bad and some things are good. When in reality, the only reason something would be good is if you had a basis for it being good. And you may be thinking, well, why are you guys being so negative with stealing wallets, being wrong and evil and whatnot? But the third point um, that's raised is relativists cannot claim or accept praise. They can't accept the good either because they, they can't acknowledge that it's good. Um, claiming or accepting praise implies that there is some kind of standard at which to compare these two. Well, why do you need to be praised if there's no standard of good and evil? Like My mind can't even comprehend that. Well, and in reality, this is, this is the problem with postmodernism. Even though they claim to have no meaning they act like that they do it's almost as if they're in a postmodern matrix where everything seems as it is but they don't actually live like postmodernists they can't yeah and so the fourth major flaw is relativists cannot make charges of unfairness or injustice we see this a lot in our world today and for most of these you ask them well why is it wrong why is it unjust? Why is it unfair? And they can't give you an answer. Um, or I guess the answer they can give you is, it doesn't make me feel good. It doesn't make this group feel good. It doesn't make them feel good. It's all about feelings. And when your moral standard and moral code is based off of your own feelings, how, how frequently do our feelings change? And so, yeah, again, with the consistent Christian worldview, with God as our standard and our are, yeah, he's provided the Ten Commandments for us to measure up against to see, to provide a moral basis for why we don't steal Brett's wallet when he's on the street, um, or why there is such thing as fairness and justice, because we look to God himself as being fair and just. Mm -hmm. And this kind of even goes back to our first episode in Apologetics, where this is kind of the presuppositional way of looking at it right um where we ask well in reality what's your basis for saying that something is wrong and postmodernists don't have that yeah they don't have a basis for anything yeah, exactly. um and this leads in well to the fifth major flaw that relativists cannot improve their morality there's no chance for them to get better um i found a quote on instagram a while back 
on the topic of moral relativism, which says, Moral outrage at others is absurd if you claim to believe in moral relativism. Either justice is a real objective thing that exists, or it is a mere personal preference, opinion, or moral construct invented by your community that has no universal binding authority on others. So this goes back to the claiming there are no absolutes, yet affirming the singular absolute that there are none at the same time. Yeah, and this leads into the sixth major flaw in that relativists cannot hold meaningful moral discussions. Basically, they are incapable of ever understanding someone else's authentic self, as it were. So, yeah, with not being able to understand that, people are not able to share their morality. They can say, yeah, that's my morality, but how are you supposed to have a meaningful moral discussion? Oh, that's your morality? Well, this is mine. That conversation ends there. It can't go any further because to do that would be to force some kind of um, some kind of feeling of your own on someone else's. Well, and yeah, that like so as a postmodernist, what really can you do, right? You can't have meaningful discussion about morality. Can't complain about morality. In reality, you're just not living in it. You're not living in reality because you're pretending that there's all these impressions, right? Really, for a postmodernist, one must ask the question, what is the point of life? And Albert Camus has a quote on this where he says, there is only one really serious philosophical problem. Camus says, and that is suicide, deciding whether or not life is worth living to answer the fundamental question in philosophy. Yeah, and so... There we see, in, in you asking that question, we see the nihilist framework is that if there's nothing after death, then what's the point? Um, why is life worth living in? The existential framework provided through Friedrich Nietzsche's philosophy basically says that you have to ascribe meaning in the meaningless. Um, as mentioned in the introduction, you have to become a god yourself in order to make, make your own morality, make your own social order in which to live. Um, yeah, and basically you have to recreate reality in your own image. Um, which, if people disagree with you, you can say, well, they just have to tolerate me. Well, and that leads to the last major flaw that Beckwith and Coco point out, in that relativists cannot promote the obligation of tolerance. Um, they can't tell you you have to tolerate them. Um, because to do so would to be would tell, be telling someone to forsake their own moral code to account for yours, regardless of how their moral code lines up with yours. And so just all throughout, we see these issues with um, the relativist and postmodern framework. And I want to relate that to today once again, right? Um, we kind of, as Christians, we get accused a lot of the time as being intolerant of certain worldviews right and being intolerant of say the lgbtq community right but in reality they have no basis for that statement right because they're being intolerant of our ideas that we're being sorry they're being intolerant of our ideas we're being intolerant of their ideas right so both are being intolerant now it's just whether one is right or wrong but they don't have a basis for what is right or wrong. So they have no 
grounds to complain about this. Yeah, and the very, very definition of tolerance. You don't tolerate someone you agree with. You tolerate someone you disagree with. <laughs> Therefore, with your disagreement, you're being intolerant already, whether that's verbalized or not, but you're still being intolerant. So tolerance in the modern connotation, or I should say the postmodern connotation, <laughs> um, doesn't mean it's not the same kind of tolerance that tolerance actually means. If that makes sense. I, that's a lot of tolerance, Ellen. Please tolerate me. <laughs> um, I'm on a roll here. Um, that's but, right. If there's any postmodernist listening, nothing matters anyways. So. <laughs> well, and to connect all these dots of the flaws, in reality, what is true about postmodernism is that it doesn't correspond to truth. Um, as in comparison to us, we believe in the correspondence theory of truth, um, which is that truth is what corresponds to reality as it is perceived by God. So the reality that we live in is the one which God sees because he sees it perfectly. Not only sees, but the way God says it is and makes it to be, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and... Yeah, just to connect our circle so that we go all the way around. Since postmodernism rejects rationality, thereby rejecting the basic laws of logic, it gives itself over to absurdity. And I think we're going to head to break now. Postmodernists, stick around to see why life does matter. And we'll see you in five seconds. And we're back. Five seconds later, as promised. Now, Karsten, we're moving on. How do we respond as Christians to the postmodern lies? Well, it's important to remember that evangelicals have primarily defended Christianity in the realm of the modern. Um, so in a society that, as Stanley Grenz puts it, glorifies reason and deifies science. However, culture has shifted away from this, the modernist principles of science and reason, leaving Christians the task of developing a new apologetic strategy to operate in the new postmodern context. Um, so Riken, Philip Riken, that is, asserts that postmodernism says that there are no all-encompassing worldviews, no facts, only interpretations. They would say that the only worldviews that are wrong are the ones that claim to know the truth. So that includes you, Christian. Yeah, and I think... Uh, a part of trying to witness to postmodernists is to try and find some common ground. Uh, what do you think is some common ground that we have with postmodernists, Carson? Well, Christians can agree with the postmodernists that our perspective can influence our experience within and view of the world. Um, so not only that, but we can also agree that our knowledge is not perfect, but affected by sin. Um, now, obviously, we aren't agreeing with the postmodernist in their postmodernistic sense, Um but we can know from scripture that yeah, our, who we are can influence how we perceive the world and live in the world. Um, and yeah, since we're tainted by sin, we aren't perfect. Um, that said, we must also recognize that postmodernism is an all-out attack on the foundation of truth itself, of God himself. Um, whether, whether or not that those postmodernists know it. Exactly. Um, and so that's not something you can just overlook for the sake of common ground. Um, we have to realize that, yeah, God himself is under attack by this philosophical and theoretical framework. And that needs to stay at the foreground when we witness to them. Mm -hmm. And 
right again going back to this right this is an attack on truth and john 14 16 jesus says i am the way and the truth and the life and no one comes through the father except through me this is not something that is just passive in attacking christ but it is directly attacking him so keep that in mind while witnessing to these people yeah, and so since postmodernism necessitates a relativist society um, where everyone can make metaphysical claims without evidence to substantiate them, um, this relativism leads to difficulties in witnessing and sharing a consistent Christian worldview. Um, so it's important to distinguish between the truth claims of the world, claims made through a postmodern or the relativist framework, and the truth claims of the Bible and consistent Christianity. Um, so the world promotes tolerance at the expense of of intolerance of those who oppose their inclusivist ideology. Um, so yeah, this sums up one of my favorite sayings. Um, and we'll find, yeah, the presuppositional method works well here. Um, but one of my favorite sayings is, by what standard? You ask them the simple question. So as a Christian, I know that God is the ultimate standard for our ethics and how we ought to act. Now you might be thinking, oh, you fell for the classic if-ought trap. Um, but how, how did you put truth earlier with the correspondence theory of truth? Yeah, um, truth is what corresponds to reality as perceived by God. And so that truth, the way things ought to be, the way God made things to be, it's not falling into the, oh, you're just falling into the if-ought trap again. Um, but yeah, there's a way the world should be, and sin taints that to be the way that it is um so yeah knowing that god is the ultimate standard um, um greg kokel and francis beckwith in their book basically say that relativists have their feet firmly planted in midair they have nothing to stand on um so when you ask them the question by what standard they they can't give an answer except for me myself and i yeah and i think we can really test them on this right because as Carson was saying earlier, and as I was saying earlier as well, nobody lives a consistent relativist life, right? Without a doubt, relativists slash postmodernists are going to make moral claims, right? Um, and we have to test them with this, right? And once again, by saying, by what standard, right? Um, again, that example of uh, if I steal Carson's wallet, he's going to say to me, well, that's wrong. And then you test them on that by what standard? Postmodernists don't have anything to stand on there. Yeah, and as Christians, we can point to God and who he is and the, the law he has given us and say it says, there in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. Um, and so, yeah, this statement, short yet as profound as it is, stands in great contrast to what the culture promotes. Um, so culture promotes an ethic and practice that is all about feelings, while the Christian promotes an absolute standard of ethics outside of themselves rooted in God and his truth. Um, and Martin Luther says it well, feelings come and feelings go and feelings are deceiving. My warrant is the word of God, not else is worth believing. Um, or R.C. Sproul says it, when God says something, the argument is over. Or another one from H.B. Charles Jr. Truth is truth, whether I experience it or not. The Lord does not need my experience to validate his word. Um, yeah, so these quotes just go together to show that, you know, when we look to ourselves, we don't have a leg to stand on. Um, and, yeah, so to defend against postmodernism, we must begin with the true God, 
God is truth and is true in all that in all that he does. So God does not have a point of view or perspective as a postmodernism would assert that everyone has. He is a complete view. Um, we see a small portion of the picture. He sees everything um, as he has decreed, as he has laid it out, as he has made it to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, just as kind of a separate point as well, right? Not only do we look at these people as attackers on Christ, but we also have to look at them as we have said in previous episodes as lost souls right they are slaves to sin and in reality um, as John 8 31 puts it the truth will set you free right so we not only are trying to fight against them at because they are attacking Christ but also because these people are slave to sins and once again their souls are at stake yeah and so this leads to well how do we do this um so Francis Beckwith and Greg Koch will point out many useful strategies in dismantling postmodernism so you can enter the discussion with the truth of God. Um, we had mentioned a few, just even just pointing out these logical inconsistencies is enough to put the stone in the shoe, make them stop and think about, oh, is this, is this true? Um, are my feelings the absolute standard for my life? Um, so the first one is, yeah, show the contradictions of relativism. Um, Moral relativism is always self-refuting. We've pointed it out a few times already that there are no absolutes in postmodernism, except that absolute that there are no absolutes. Um, it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense. Well, and even the fact that they're having a conversation with you, right, proves relativists not to be true because they believe that they have meaning in the words that they say, right, which is contradictory towards relativism in and of itself. Yeah, and so the second strategy is to what Beckwith and Coco put as push their hot button, um, relativize an issue that they know about, and br- to bring their moral intuition to the foreground. Um, they will claim to be relativists when it is convenient to them. Um, yeah, big Brett and I have been doing this a little bit with stealing. You can pick a bigger issue that know your audience, I guess. Um, but yeah, stealing the wallet's a good one. You make that, oh, well... It's no longer your money, it's my money. It's my truth. Um, yeah, then they, they get offended. It's, no, it's mine. They're, there's something within them that says that's wrong. And we know from Scripture that God has written his law on their hearts. Um, so you can also push, push on the moral language they use, such as should or must. Should and must are more, it's moral language. Mm-hmm. Um, it implies an obligation um, to do something that's right or wrong. Um, yeah. And so push their hot button. Don't actually steal their wallets. Little disclaimer there for you, but, um, yeah, the 10 commitments still apply to you even when you're doing evangelism. (laughs) (laughs) Practical advice with uh, Brett Blocker. Um, but yeah, when you push their hot button, you'll show the contradictions in relativism. Um, and, yeah, we've touched on it again a little bit earlier, but force the tolerance issue. Um, yeah. So the definition of tolerance requires that you disagree with someone, or you could buy, or you could say being intolerant of them before you are able to tolerate them. After all, we do not have to tolerate people we agree with. I kind of mentioned that earlier. It's my big uh, toleration um, little rant, but yeah. that's much more concise. I feel. And really get into 
well, what, as Karsten was mentioning, well, what, what do you mean by tolerance, right? Going back to episode one, um, right? Where it's like, really get to know what they mean by the terms that they are speaking, right? Because once again, part of the postmodern lie is the deconstruction of truth. So you really have to know what they actually mean by these things, because they don't really know what they mean. Yeah, and so again, to quote Beckwith and Kokel, most of what passes as tolerance today is not actually tolerance, but intellectual cowardice. Yeah. Um, something we strive for here at this podcast is to keep these conversations going. Um, postmodernists want to shut down the conversation in the name of tolerance. Oh, you disagree? Well, that's fine. Just you just have to tolerate me. They don't. They aren't open for discussion. As again, being a relativist, when it's convenient for them. Which leads well into have a ready defense, have a sure defense. I'm thinking again of 1 Peter 3 verse 15, but but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. Um, yeah, it goes back to the first two episodes as the foundation of how we are to witness based on scripture alone. Um, yeah, you can use... Um, defenses from philosophy, from evidences, but really just getting to the heart of the issue. Brett's pointed out not everyone is a consistent relativist. Um, no one. A, a term, yeah, a term like that is kind of an oxymoron because being a relativist means you throw out the laws of logic. Therefore, you cannot actually be consistent. Right, and that's that's our standard. So, somebody has to be consistent in order to have a, well, a worldview that actually works, right? You can't go against the law of non-contradiction um, because that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, well, saying they forsake logic, they will still unknowing, unknowing will be the Unknowingly. Unknowingly. Thanks, Brett. Um, can't English today. They will unknowingly um, adhere to the laws of logic. There are just some things that just don't make sense. Well, exactly. And like I was saying earlier, them participating in a conversation, they're using the laws of logics to discuss with you. But yet they would say that th those don't actually exist, right? So, yeah, the best practical advice at how to open up this discussion and provide your ready defense is to find these moments where they're falling back from the postmodern back to the modern where they are relying on reason and science to defend their disbelief in reason and science um yeah and just come in there with your apologetic approach whether that be um presuppositions evidential um and then hit them with the gospel um bring the news good news of jesus christ um coming to die and rise again to forgive their sins but that's just enlightenment thinking for, for context, um, Carson goes to Western University, and whenever Carson uses logic and reasoning, he gets told that it's just enlightenment thinking, and it may may have upset him a little bit this semester. <laughs> it's all right, though. I survived. Um, uh, that's what you get in a sociology department. <laughs> this is true. Um, um. Anyways, yeah. But yeah, just to recap that last point so we don't get lost in the humor here. Yeah, just find find their moment of weakness, as you could say, where they're 
not being a relativist for three seconds and yeah, give your defense, give the gospel, show them that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, um, and that he is the only way, not one of many ways, the only way to get to the Father. Um, he is our mediator. He um, He came to die and forgive our sins um, and to rise again, to be the perfect sacrifice. And uh, yeah, I think that uh, concludes this episode. Thank you, Karsten for providing the wisdom that you do as always <laughs> right back at you Brett. <laughs> yeah so just as some concluding thoughts i'd like to uh read a passage from john 18 verses 37 and 38 uh, this is right before jesus is crucified and he's talking to pilate here um therefore pilate said to him so you are a king Jesus answered, you say correctly that I am a king. For this purpose I have been born, and for this I have come into the world, to testify the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? And then he went out from there. Yeah, so that verse, Pilate, after asking this question, it was truly just a hypothetical to him as he just left right away after. Um, we we should be different in we should constantly be seeking the truth as found in God's word and in God himself. Um, constantly seeking to know him more. Um, not in just a head knowledge type of way, but a heart knowledge type of way. Where we, yeah, we truly know the truth because, as you said, the truth will set us free. Um, well, and even as Jesus says right, right in that passage, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So Christians are inherently people of the truth. Yeah, and so let us be these people of the truth, um, following Christ, following God to whatever his purpose is for our lives. Um, yeah, and just to go into the world and be a light, proclaiming the one and only way, one and only truth, the one and only life that is found in Christ Jesus. Yeah, and I uh, think that concludes our final episode. And once again, just... Some concluding thoughts for this. Um, yeah, check out our social medias. Hit us up on the Instagram, the Facebook, at Counterculturist Podcast. Check out our YouTube channel. As always, hit that subscribe button. Give us a like. Leave us a review. Hit that bell. So you always get notified when we come out with new content. Um, but yeah, um, we'd also just like to ask you a favor and just, Hey, please talk about us with your family, with your friends, right? Word of mouth goes a long way. Um, even if you just mention it to a friend, it goes a long way for us. Yeah. Yeah. And just keep the conversations going. Um, yeah, that's the biggest thing. We want to keep them going, raise awareness about these issues and, um, yeah, in the end, hit them with the gospel, keep it God, gospel-centered, God-focused, Christ-focused, so that yeah, we can fulfill our great commission. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that does it with the... Ep- <laughs> well, we're going to keep that with this episode of the Counterculturist Podcast. Thanks for joining. Thanks for joining.